comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box, Episode 71. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor. Before we get started with this week's episode, just want to wish everybody a happy new year. Um, I hope that you've started 2012 on the right foot and that everything is going great for you. Uh, new listeners, welcome aboard. And our current listeners and fans of the show, welcome back. Just throwing this out there, if you have a moment to hop on the iTunes and uh, give us a, a nice review, we'd really appreciate it. Don't like really asking for this stuff too much. I'm not the begging type. But if you do get a, if you do get a free time, go to iTunes, type in the PKD Black Box in the search header and um, find us and write us a nice review. We'd really appreciate it. So I'm not going to yap anymore. Just want to let you know, we got plenty of great episodes coming out this year. I'm working the interview list, recording episodes, even as I put this episode together, uh, recording more interviews, uh, trying to make new segments, uh, trying to do, you know, try to shake things up a little bit to keep the podcast fresh. So enjoy this episode. Be ready next week for Tales from the Attic with Donnie Salvo, followed by another PKD Black Box, then followed by a Carol Chronicles episode, then followed by another PKD Black Box for the month of January. So um, get ready and enjoy yourself. Peace. on the line right now with the man you've heard on this podcast a couple times before uh, we had talked about some of our favorite action movies of the 80s and the 90s but this time we're here to talk about something different he's the host of the mat of the burdens world podcast soon to be burdens world 2.0 you've heard him on the matinee idols podcast he is a founder of fpw future pro wrestling in the uk the one the only matt burden matt how you doing sir I'm super good. I'm fine. I'm set. I have a, a, a drink roll call. I have a can of Carlsberg sat ready to go and uh, a big list of console games. And I'm talking to Sean Pryor, who's just showered um, for me, which is really weird because when, when Sean's going to be even a little bit late for a, a podcast recording, he'll always tweet, he'll DM just to, like, just to pre-warn any future guests of the PKD Media Black Box. So you, he was, you're, you are you're, you're the John Cena of podcasting but cooler and smoother and you don't wear the shorts because um, you are like, you're super prepared and you, like, you put in a lot of work and so you'll always keep me updated but I got I, I would call it the Top Gun of tweets it was quite possibly the it was that scene in the middle of Top Gun where the volleyball game goes down but in tweet form it was I'm just going to step in the shower real quick and then I'll be right with you and then and then while I'm, you know, you're forced to picture Sean showering firstly because it's just natural, and then I get one saying, "I've just stepped out of the shower and now I'm fighting ninjas," which I can only assume involved nakedness because you didn't say, "I've grabbed some clothes." So now, it's, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, it's just, it's kind of a shaft porn film now where you're fighting ninjas naked. Uh, <laughs> 
See, Jason Wood would love that in a comic. Sean Pryor fights ninjas naked. I'd love it. <laughs> But who wouldn't? So anyway, um, you carry on, Sean. Take this bus. Okay, no problem. Um, (laughs) What we're going to do, we're going to talk about uh, some of our favorite video games, and we're going to do it from, from, um, we're going to do it in two different ways. I'm going to talk about some of my favorite video games that were in the arcade. Now, I know maybe for a lot of our listeners, they know of what what an actual video game arcade is, and there may be some that may not know or have heard of it, or know of uh, an know of somewhat of what an arcade is like by going to a place like Dave and Buster's but no 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 I'm going to take you back to the old school with the arcade um, and the video game arcade craze with some of my video some of my video game favorites and what Matt is going to do he's going to talk about some some of his favorite console games um, of all time so we're going to talk about video games from from two different perspectives and uh, we hope you enjoy it so you know what we're going to do Matt I'm because you're the guest we're going to kick it off with you Tell me one of your favorite console games. Whenever, whenever I record with with you, Sean, I'll always say, "Do you want you know?" Do, it always requires paperwork. Whenever I rec- whenever I record with you, you always have me printing off the Wikipedia lists and and stuff. And today was no different. So I'm at work. Um, nobody from work listens to this to this, so I'm sure you know they're missing out. Firstly, but secondly, you don't know I've stolen at least 25 sheets of plain paper um, today. <laughs> so I'm working with a colleague um, who's probably in his mid-twenties, so he probably grew up in the Pixar generation, which sickens me to start with. Um, secondly, he would have you know, been right in the middle of console mania and was probably handed down an N64 and a Super Nintendo and a Mega Drive. Um, and apologies to US people, I did mean to say the Super Famicom and also the Genesis, that's what I meant to say. Um, but I just said, look, look, uh, Dane, I'm going to throw it out to you. What is your all-time favourite console game? And without even blinking, he just looked up and said, "Goldeneye." And <laughs> I, the more, the more I've, I think as the years gone on, actually, because first-person shooters have been huge this year. 2011's been like mental for first-person shooting games, you know, on on current consoles. So. Um, uh, Modern Warfare had, you know, Modern Warfare 3, um, Battlefield 3 came out kind of like two months before, and not surprisingly, but it, I think a lot of people thought, oh, that's quite bold, you know, you're releasing your big game for the year, not at Christmas, and also, you know, you're going up against what people know is coming, so I think a lot of people pre-ordered Modern Warfare, because it's got this huge fan base of people that just like to shoot people in the head um, that they don't know, and shout things like, my UAV is online! <laughs> but it all, to me anyway, it all comes back to Goldeneye, um, which was the Nintendo 64 for me, and of course the Famicom for, for kind of everyone else. Um, and it came out in, and I've got, I've got my, you can hear actual paper as opposed to electronic. So I'm sorry, trees, but I've used you today. Um, yeah, it came out in uh, 1997, which is mental for me. Like, it, it, I've, I've got so many memories of playing that game uh, multiplayer. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. the movie came out in '95. The huge thing about playing um, GoldenEye was the multiplayer thing, and the gutting thing about about GoldenEye was once your friends have gone, you've only got the single player mode, and there was no modes to kind of recreate that hunter killer kind of vibe that you got from sitting there with three other friends playing multiplayer. You know, GoldenEye. Uh, and I think that's where, as soon as Modern Warfare and things like that came out, people were kind of, this is like Goldeneye, but I don't need to call friends. At which point, you know, people become hermits and um, and never find wives. Yeah. So 
<laughs> it was just it just became that kind of vibe which was get a load of friends around I think the longest session I've had in GoldenEye was eight hours um, and uh, to the point where I think we swapped battery we, you know we, there was that big meaty kind of power pack attached to the plug socket lead on a on a N64 or a Famicom and we had to switch it around I think because I was overheated incredibly but yeah we played like eight hours of it and there was the paintball mode and the man with the golden gun mode um, and uh, you would uh, most people would either that you were either never allowed to be odd job or you would have an argument with somebody about being there was some kind of drawing straws as to who was allowed to be odd job because he was tiny and no one could see him right. so lots of fights lots of control pads being thrown around the house um, or, much to the, or, or, you know. or there would be spots where you would run out of bullets and so you would see people like running around just trying to karate chop others wasn't there an actual noise with the karate yeah. chop as well <laughs> yeah, some which accompanied it uh, so it's like I, I, I forget like um, what happened but one time my friend just wanted to play all, I guess he called it like all slappers mode or whatever yeah and which sounds terrible in the UK that means that you're going out with loose women <laughs> well if you're a slapper then you've, you're a lady of ill repute so all slappers mode means something else completely to me but you know what I, I've learned something new today thank you yeah <laughs> but um in this case is basically you're just trying to judo chop people to death and <laughs> And and so we would do that for a while. We play for like ten or fifteen minutes. But like you know what, this is stupid. Okay, bring back the guns. All right, let's go. All right, let, yes. let's go and have a good time. I that was probably the first multiplayer game where, like you said, you you got people together. You had the golden eye parties. You get your friends together and play to no end. All different types of levels. All different types of weapons. And for once again, for its time. The graphics on that game, and for what the N64 could do, that game was fantastic. Oh, definitely. And then it was, and I'm, this isn't like one of the games that I'm going to talk about, so I'm just going to add it on because it was followed up, and I can't, I can't remember how many years later by Perfect Dark, um, and Perfect Dark was kind of this. It was, um, it was developed by Rare again, and it was kind of, it was supposed to be GoldenEye like 2.0, but with like a you know female lead. And if you remember rightly, there was like, or for us anyway. I don't know about you know the Famicom, but on the Nintendo 64, there was like this little hatch or a little clip that you opened up on the top of the console, and they had this add-on chip, like a gra- like a graphics chip or an expansion chip, which apparently then increased the power of the Nintendo 64 and made all of the graphics even better. And I just remember distinctly Perfect Dark being one of these things, saying, "Oh, you've got to get this thing because it improves the graphics." And I remember getting it and slotting it in, and being completely non plus about it and going oh okay well it, well it's in now you know i might as well, <laughs> might as well perfect no. but i i never had um i never had the same um kind of affinity with perfect dark than i did with with goldeneye yeah. um you know it, that conjures up um i mean i'm going to talk about other n64 games later but it definitely conjures up a time when you took a console to someone else's house to to play yes i mean now i would never dream of unplugging my xbox 360 because um you know or playstation 3 or whatever because to me anyway and maybe it's you know the eight or my age you know um if you're a i suppose late teen early 20s or whatever your setup in your bedroom is probably you know possibly quite 
um, you know, portable or it's movable or there's no fixed place for a console to be, you know, like you would move it from your bedroom to your living room or if you still lived with your parents, you wouldn't necessarily have it set up on the main big, you know, TV in, in the living room. But, you know, like me now as like a homeowner and a parent, it's, I'm looking at it right now, you know, I've got a TV unit under my TV and there's Blu-ray player, uh, DVR, Xbox and a Wii perched on top of it if even the cat goes behind my tv and messes with those wires it there's bedlam so the mere idea of me transporting an xbox to someone else's house just to play it it would be unheard of now but in those days i had like a massive carry case with a foam insert that um that the video store used to rent out the n64 in and that was how i got my first n64 i i actually bought it on the cheap from my place of work from blockbusters because we used to rent out those those systems and that would be my carry case so like you know a friend of mine says oh do you want to come around um let's have a game session i'd be like okay well what do you want to play it would be oh let's play some gold night fine and i'm the guy with the console so all the wires go in four controllers bang 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 Goldeneye and other games that I'll disclose later and I would then you know transport it to my friend's house without even a thought of you know of there being upheaval with wires and bits and pieces well, but yeah it, it just kind of your mentality changes with age I guess no, no, not only that but like it, it changes with age and it changes with technology I mean you hit it on the head that you could do that back you know back when you know what I mean you could go to a video store and rent a game system because yeah. there was no ethernet worries you know you didn't have to worry about connecting to the internet um, you didn't have to worry about you know networking anything like that so you could rent an N64 you could rent a Sega Genesis you could rent a Nintendo you know console it's once you got to the era of having to attach a system to the internet to make certain features work that's when it all changed and once that changed that also changed the whole like you said that changed the whole multiplayer aspect as well and so it went from yeah you can still have your 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 boys over or your friends over or whoever over your house and you could like network and and do whatever you want have as many tvs in your house as possible and run up your electric bill but (laughs) but the closeness of like playing goldeneye with friends at your house that was something that was just it was new to a lot of people it's like when when you played like a uh, mario kart game it's the same thing I remember a quick story about Goldeneye. Um, long ago, I was when I was uh, living uh, during my bachelorhood era. I was living with my good friend Mark. One night, I let my, my younger, like my my younger brother, just spend the weekend with with us. And he loved video games. And he was probably like around the time, probably like seven, eight years old. And so he wanted to play Goldeneye. The game was already a few years old, and we still had the N sixty four hooked up. So he had played it like one time before. And the one thing about my younger brother is, is that he picks up on video games with the quickness. I mean, he's much older now, mind you, but he picks up on video games with the quickness. So he's not seven permanently, you mean? No, no. He, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I set myself up for that one. But, uh, but we were playing. It was me and my brother and, and my friend Mark. We were playing multiplayer. And he was just he was just killing us left and right. I mean, average kill fifteen seconds tops. You know, he just finds you, kill you. You try to stop him, you think you got him, he gets you, and he's just laughing his ass off. And there's nothing to me. There's nothing funnier than that's like one thing I'll always remember is hearing his laugh <laughs> constantly for twenty minutes. Yeah. I mean, he's laughing and whooping people's asses at the same time. And I was like, I, and even even my friend Mark got upset. He was just like, I can't deal with this anymore. I got to stop. <laughs> 
that's the see that's the beauty of of something like that. And again, you're absolutely right. I think the only thing that predates that was maybe um, the Super Nintendo. Was it? Was the Super Nintendo the Famicom? The Super Nintendo was the Famicom, wasn't it? Yeah, Super Nintendo was the Famicom. Yeah, sorry, I've completely Famicom, got that mixed yeah. up. Um, like they they created like a four player adapter bar. For, do you remember Super Bomberman? Yeah, yeah, because um, they also had a four-player adapter for the Sega Genesis slash Mega Drive. Yeah, um, you know that allows you to, p- to connect four controllers to to uh, to one game system. But yeah, I remember Super Bomberman. That, yeah, Super. I mean, Super Bomberman was kind of the beginning of not just you versus somebody else, and that was when the the kind of the banter would begin and it would always be that was like the test of someone's true kind of grit whether or not you could take a beat and, and, and kind of take it and that's where a lot of the humor um, and memories and sometimes arguments and 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 smash tvs can come in where someone just loses it and golden eye was always that one where the great thing was that everyone everyone thought that they're the only one that has the idea that look at the other person's screen to figure out where they are. No one ever, no one ever said, "Oh, I totally saw you." It was always like, "If if I just keep quiet and 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 I just kind of in, and uh, now I know he's just appeared in the ventilation shaft. So if I get my ass upstairs and wait outside the toilet door, I'll be able to you know I'll be able to kill him on the way." But your second that anyone spawns inside that ventilation shaft, there was always whoops and hollers and ah, everyone get upstairs, let's go. It, it, it was so much fun, um, you know. And then I suppose to kind of finish on this anyway, um, on Goldeneye, the um, the one story, and I think I told it on on that very episode of Burns World. It is, you know, a friend of mine, Adam Bryant, famously uh, got so stressed with with Goldeneye um, for whatever reason. He took the N64 pad and didn't throw it, but he actually broke it over his own forehead. Um, and snapped the controller clean in half but of course the N64 controllers used to have these tiny little joysticks right in the centre with little indented rings and he had the mark of that right dead centre in his forehead for months absolute months and it was kind of like he bore the mark of, of golden eye rage um, unfortunately it was always very awkward if somebody smashed a controller that didn't belong to them like if you're at someone else's house and you break their controller you know that's worse than kind of kicking a football over a wall in rage you know yeah. it's uh, it's awkward we'll put it that way <laughs> very much so yes but golden eye I love it and I got a game voucher for Christmas um, and I spent some of the day researching whether I should buy Arkham City, Skyrim, or GoldenEye uh, Reloaded for the Xbox, and, and I am going to be picking up GoldenEye, because the idea that I can play 16-player multiplayer with Oddjob and Jaws, uh, and it, yeah, that's going to happen. So I shall pick that up on Saturday, and I'll let you know how I get on. <laughs> There was a period of time in the arcade where Nintendo was just running things, and not just with. Um, and actually, the funny thing was was that people, a lot of people, think that they ran the roost with Mario Brothers at the arcade, when that actually really wasn't true. They really, you know, I mean, that really picked up more on the console with Super Mario Brothers, and then all of its sequels and spinoffs afterwards. But one thing, um, Nintendo made a lot of games for the arcade, though. But one thing they did do. And this was kind of clever because it enticed people to go buy consoles. Is that they would have a Nintendo 
arcade game called the Play Choice. And it was, yeah, it was called the Nintendo Play Choice. And what they would do is they would take a majority of their Nintendo console games and put them in the, in this arcade box. And, and like every time you would put like a quarter or a token in, see, see, people don't remember video games would either cost quarters or sometimes tokens, but, um, you would put it in and for every quarter or token you would put in, you would get a certain amount of allotted time to play as many video games as you wanted that were on that machine and your average nintendo play choice was either a play choice 3 a play choice 8 or a play choice 10 i think i, it, I mean it was like the jukebox of nintendo wasn't it yes it was, yes um, it was was this kind of during punch out era and stuff like that um yeah kind of yeah oh yeah definitely and actually this yeah. is a few years after well after this was well i shouldn't say a few years after but like it was around the era also of mike tyson's punch out Yes, um, yeah, yeah. And so what they did is like the original Play Choice model had stuff like the original Mario Brothers, um, Excite Bike, uh, 1942, and like in um, like Castlevania or something like that. And like then they started mixing it up. You could play games like uh, Rescue Rangers uh, from Chip, you know, Chippendale Rescue yeah. Rangers, Russian Attack, Rygar, Track and Field, Contra, Super Mario Brothers two and three, Baseball Stars. Tecmo Bowl, Ninja Turtles, the ori- the original Nintendo version of Ninja Turtles, which, yeah. is, which is terrible. It's awful. There's a. I, I just remember seeing. I've played it before, but uh, for some reason, some search or other brought me to a screenshot, and it's an awful screenshot of Raphael, almost from above. It's kind of slanted above, and he's come out of a sewer, and he's above ground, and there's like a pixelated pizza next to his left foot. It's just awful. Yeah, it's, it was just terrible. It's terrible. But they, you know, they had all types of games, you know, all types of games on it from all different types of uh, of um, play, you know, all different types of um, you know, third party providers. But the one game that stuck with me, which was actually a console game that they brought over to this to go get people to buy the console game, was a game called Captain Skyhawk. Now, the funny thing about Captain Skyhawk, you talked about GoldenEye, you talked about Perfect Dark and how they were made by Rare. Mm. Captain Skyhawk was made by Rare. And uh, Captain Skyhawk was uh, released by the Milton Bradley Company for for the Nintendo Entertainment System. But I first played this at the arcade on a Nintendo PlayChoice 10. And basically, this was during the era where, in 1990, the console wars were, you know, were getting pretty big. Everybody was making video games. Or companies were getting video game developers to make games for them. I mean, everybody and their mama was making games. And this game, Captain Skyhawk, basically, um, long story short, you are a fighter pilot who's, like, flying this modified F-14 known as the F-14 VTS and um, it's a top-down scrolling overhead, and there are nine missions in the game. And basically, aliens have invaded Earth, and they've built like four like massive land bases. And these bases are supposed to like drain the Earth's energy, and it, has, and it feeds it to the mother mother space station. Basically, the player must destroy enemy bases, go after the space sta- and go after the space station, and they have to uh, save scientists. And if you save scientists, you get um you you get to collect pieces of a top secret neutron cannon. And after several missions, you got to make supply drops to scientists that are working underground, um, and then defeat the alien base to take the scientists to safety. It's it is a little reminiscent of Zaxxon, with the exception of the way Skyhawk works. It's like a straightforward top-down scrolling, whereas opposed to Zaxxon, it's uh, scrolling at an angle. And the F-14 plane, you could like have four types of weapons, like a cannon, 
uh, Phoenix air intercept missiles, Maverick air-to-ground missiles, and Hawk bombs. The only thing you had an unlimited supply of was the cannon. All the other things you had to like constantly, you know, reattain again and again and again, because you had to like get credits. And every time you docked with with your space station, you'd have credits and you could go purchase more stuff. And you would fight a big boss, which would be a space station, at the end of every level. I played this game in the arcade <laughs> nonstop non-stop and i don't know whether it was because of my love for zaxxon or you know or space shooters or whatever i played this game non-stop on that play choice 10 i burned a ton of quarters and like i would just see like the little minute mark start to go down i put in another quarter put in another token i didn't care and i so just kept playing that kid that noah talks about on um wayne's world at noah's arcade just pumping in loads and loads of quarters into this machine oh yeah no knowing that you oh it, it makes me happy and sad at the same time <laughs> You know, the amount of joy that you got from it. But also there's this this guy going, yeah, go on, just put another quarter in there. <laughs> well, you know, it's just it's what's one of those things. I mean, doing something like that is now a foregone conclusion. I mean, I mean, or I shouldn't say foregone conclusion. I mean, it's just gone. You, the, you know, the days of the arcades and putting quarters and tokens in a machine, you don't hear of that anymore. I mean, for a couple of no. reasons. It's just like with Las Vegas. They don't give you coins anymore. You just have a card and you swipe a card and you slide a card because they don't want to clean tokens. They don't want to clean chips. You know what I mean? Like coming out of coming out of slot not, not slot, yeah, coming out of slot machines. They don't want to clean all those coins. And plus there's germs and stuff like that and people are germaphobes and I can understand why. So you don't have that anymore. And then you just have this like whole slide a card philosophy and it's not the same. It's not. It's just, it's, you know, because like when I went to an arcade when I was a kid, you hear people putting coins in machines. And to me, that was my, as a kid, that was my Las Vegas. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't win any prizes, but I still I had a blast. And I just hear people putting coins in things, which got me curious to what people were putting coins in. So I walk around the whole arcade to see what was going on. And, you know, and you have those people that would be surrounded by a game. So you want to watch what's going on, too, because this dude's about to, like, you know, like, you know, get the high score and stuff like that. Those types of things are now gone. And you, there are there are still some arcades in the in, in, in this, like in the United States, there's still a few, a few left, but it's more of a it's, 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 it's more of a rarity. And it's more of a special thing now to where the arcades used to be something that literally were on every corner. Well, in in the UK anyway, for me, I associate arcades with like what we would call seaside towns, like coastal towns that have a small kind of tourist element to it. So, like here, we would have like holiday camps where you stay in caravans and stuff near a seaside town, and then during the day you would go to the, you know, like the beach with your family, albeit you know a pebbled beach with. Uh, an awful coloured sea um, <laughs> that you wouldn't want to put your toe in, um, but the the kind of tradition of that's where like the the British uh, fish and chips kind of don't know ethos comes from you know from those seaside towns and there you would have the pier and on the pier usually those arcades are still front and centre um, in the UK. So for me, when I go on holiday with with my family and we do usually do like the British kind of seaside resorts um, and the kids love it And but the, the, it's my kids that are now walking around with bags full of one piece two piece um, ten piece twenty piece and of course my oldest Joe is the one who's straight on it's the, the machines that I liked as a kid even though it still turns my stomach when I see my two kids walk up to House of the Dead 5 and then pick up <laughs> pick up those enormous shotguns and and I'm like Lucy you're f you know you're four seriously <laughs> just put it down. put the gun down honey um 
yeah, it, I, those are still around, definitely in the UK. But but for us anyway, I think it's probably more more seaside towns that that get that kind of stuff. Well, see, but that's that's a whole other thing too. I remember when when it started to become where console games that were like big on console started to like come into an arcade format, and it wasn't in like it didn't really mesh the same. The perfect example example of that was uh, Madden Football. Like okay. Madden, you know, started like you know, started on the, on the consoles and got really big once you know we got to our Xbox, PlayStation generation. It got even bigger and bigger and bigger. And I remember it porting over to like the arcades, but not re- it was like a Dave and Buster's, which is like a restaurant. It's like a restaurant with like an arcade for for adults. It's got like a lot of big games and stuff like that. But and they'll have like a little corner dedicated to the old school. But there was this Madden console, and I'm like. I'm paying how many credits to play four quarter, you know, to play a whole four quarters of, you know, of football? Now that's okay. I can just go cop it for for like forty bucks and play it forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it just didn't it didn't really feel the same. The playability didn't feel the same. So I was just like, eh, not for me. But anyway. Well, do you know what? You, you've segued perfectly because I'm going to go with NBA Jam. Ah, okay. Okay, um, so Midway. Midway um, come out with NBA Jam in 1993. Um, and I'm, and I've, I've kind of skimmed through the, the wiki page and it's actually quite interesting stuff and it's quite relevant to what we, was just, we were just discussing. So I'm going to go through um, some of it if that's okay. Um, NBA Jam, a basketball game developed by Midway in 1993. It's the first entry in uh, the NBA Jam series and was written entirely um, in assembly language. The main designer and programmer for the game was Mike Turmel. Uh, the release of NBA Jam gave rise to a new genre of sports games which were based around fast, action-packed gameplay and exaggerated realism, a formula which Midway would also later apply to sports games um, such as NFL Blitz um, for football, hockey, two-on-two open ice challenge baseball with um, MLB Slugfest and professional wrestling with WWF Wrestlemania the arcade game um, and if you look and the, the one of the things I kind of found quite interesting was the money that this game generated um, the game became exceptionally popular and generated a significant amount of money from uh, for arcades after its release largely because of the fairly um, expensive prices for gameplay the typical cost to play a full game of NBA Jam in the United States ranged from $1 to $2 nonetheless the game became a smash hit the original arcade release generated a revenue of $1 billion in quarters Uh, (laughs) Uh, NBA Jam, uh, which featured two-on-two basketball, is one of the first real playable basketball um, arcade games and is also one of the first sports games to feature NBA licensed teams and players and their real digitized likenesses. Now, for for me, NBA Jam, um, if memory serves, was around the time the movie White Man Can't Jump came out. um, 93, so that sounds... I think that sounds pretty pretty right. Um, And... For me, the appeal of NBA Jam was two-on-two basketball. I was hopeless at football games, or rather soccer games. Um, There was just too much going on for me. And the whole idea of two-on-two basketball 
with a really easy control mechanism. I mean, the the controls were so easy. It really was a really. It was exactly what you know what that just said. A fast-paced, action-packed, exaggerated, almost a comic book look at basketball. It was that sort of comic bookish. Um, they had superpowers, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it it was um, uh, you know the peak of. Um, all we saw everywhere was Michael Jordan slam dunking and Michael Jordan on Michael Jackson videos um, and uh, Nike Air Max trainers and Air Jordans um, and it was just everywhere and now you've got a game that's kind of super exaggerated um, doing insane moves and that was really the appeal and if you um, you know if, if NBA Jam comes up in conversation um, and you tell me you like NBA Jam but don't know the two lines boom shakalaka and hoops on fire <laughs> then you're a liar and you never played the game yep. <laughs> um, that was the appeal for me I, I, I've never really been kind of a sports game um, guy uh, there's some extreme sports that I really really like but kind of soccer football um Simon and Taylor are going to uh, cut me a new one for trying, you know, to pandering to the to the term soccer. So I'm going to just going to call it football and American football, um, <laughs> hockey and and all that kind of stuff with stats. That's never really been my thing, but this was a really fun, um, just exaggerated kind of action-packed um, experience that that I could really get behind. And I seem to remember I did play it in the arcade, but for me mostly it was it was a su- it was Super Nintendo. Um, the, the tournament edition was the big one, I think, and it had this kind of on-fire basketball on the on the front of the sticker. But I do remember the kind of digitised pictures of all the NBA players, yeah. um, and always just choosing the Chicago Bulls simply because I didn't know anything about basketball and I just knew that Michael Jordan played for them. Um, but yeah, NBA Jam, it was it was a ton of fun. I really, I love it. I loved NBA Jam and I, they've recently done, um, I think a new version of it on Xbox Arcade and I downloaded the demo, which is fine for me because I don't need all the players. I just want to, you know, wanted to play it. And again, I played it with, with my son and he loved it. You know, what, who doesn't like, uh, I suppose, you know, jumping up in the air and doing 360 degree flips and slam dunking a ball and, you know, exploding things all over a basketball court. It's um, it was cool. Did you did you play it in the arcade? Or oh yeah, I, I played it in the, on on the in the arcade. I played it on the console. And like this, in the United States, there are some major major differences. Um, because like in the arcade, there was no Jordan in the arcade, no Jordan to be seen anywhere. Like on our version of Chicago Bulls, it was Pippen and Horace Grant, and and the thing is, was that Jordan was not in it because um, Midway didn't secure the license to use Jordan's name or likeness because Jordan owns like to, the rights to his name and his likeness, not the NBA. And it was um, it was the, it was the same for like Gary pa- Gary Payton, Shaquille O'Neal. Um, they also like um, owned their rights to their name and their likenesses. And so what would happen is is that okay, like in the arcade game, Chicago would be Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant. On the Genesis, it was Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant. Sega CD, it was Scottie Pippen and B.J. Armstrong. But like, say for instance, with um, Orlando Magic, it was Shaquille O'Neal and Scott Skiles. But then when you got to the Genesis or the Super Nintendo, it was Nick Anderson and Scott Skiles. But when you got to the Sega CD, it was Nick Anderson and Penny Hardaway. <laughs> and you know, because a lot of it had to do with rights and, lic- and licensing. And, and once again, Shaq only appeared in the arcade version because his likeness was no longer licensed by the NBA by the time, <clears throat> was no longer licensed by the NBA. But by the time the home console versions were developed, the cost was too high to include him in the game. 
So that's why it went and became Nick Anderson. And that was the one thing that always, like, not freaked me out, but, like, it just caught me off guard was the switch off between the arcade version and, like, the first generation for the Genesis, the first generation for the Super Nintendo, Sega CD, Game Boy, and Game Gear. How, like, all the, t- how a lot, a lot of the players would be different. Like, a perfect, another perfect example, like the Miami Heat. On the arcade game, I used to play with the Heat all the time. Ronnie Cycli and Glenn Rice. The, the Super Nintendo and Genesis, Cycli and Harold Miner. But you go back to the uh, Sega CD, it's Ronnie Cycli and Glenn Rice. And it was just, it was weird. And, like, the, the Nets had uh, Derek Coleman and Drazen Petrovic. But then Drazen Petrovic died between, in a car crash, between the release of the arcade version and the home, and the home version. So Petrovic got replaced by Kenny Anderson. So it, it, was, it was a strange thing. It still didn't take away my fun from playing, though. I mean, I, I still played it nonstop. You, you said so many names just then. I, don't think, I think when you listen to it back, you'll realize how many names you said in 30 seconds. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just, no, don't apologize. But you, you just blew my mind. You know, it's just that, <laughs> that's, that stuff sticks in, sticks in my head. I, cause and you're I, a stats man as well. I mean, like when, when, I, when I've like, heard you and John um, like talk about Madden football games and stuff, it's, it's, it's names, names, names. And, you know, and certain people will pick up on that. In the UK, the, the, big, um, the big game that messes with names is um, you've got two main football games each year that come out. You've got FIFA. Um, football, which is licensed by by FIFA, so they can use all the names of all of the the teams, their likenesses, um, everything. And then you've got Pro Evolution Soccer, which came out of International Superstar Soccer, for the, which was um, Konami or Konami's game for the N64 and, and PlayStation. And they don't have the licenses for the names. So if you want to play Manchester United for the um, on FIFA, no problem official shirt sponsors the works if you want to be manchester united on the pro evolution soccer it's always manchester town or uh, old trafford united and pe- and so the first day you get pro evolution soccer most people spend the day change going in and changing all of the names of the players to their real names so instead of it being wayne rooney spelt wrong it's wayne rooney spelt correctly <laughs> but that that kind of thing's never really bothered me but i totally you know like for someone like yourself that is a you know loves the sports and and loves their things to be precise i i just i don't think i would have the retention for all that for all that all those details this coming from the man that can reel off all of these 80s action movies so well, hey, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but, I mean, but that was just the thing. I mean, like I had, a, you know, I had a Sega Genesis at home, but I also had a friend that had a Sega. I mean, not a Sega, but I also had a friend that had a Super Nintendo and I had a friend that had a Sega with a Sega CD. So, you know, we would see all the differences and we would just tell each other all, all the differences between them. And so, you know, and that made us more curious to play because I was a big Charles Barkley fan and the Phoenix Suns had Charles Barkley. So in the arcade, it would be Barkley and Dan Marley. So I would be happy. I was happy with that. And then when I got the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis version, I got Barkley and Kevin Johnson, which was cool. But I remember my I remember my copy of NBA Jam like just went. It just died. It, it was a bad cartridge, so I couldn't return it because it passed its um, you know, it passed its return date. So I got another copy. And when I got it, it was instead of it being. Charles Barkley and Kevin Johnson, it was Dan Marley and Kevin Johnson because Midway lost the rights to Barkley because Accolade had developed their own version of NBA Jam, which just had Charles Barkley called Barkley Shut Up and Jam, which was awful. I was salty because I couldn't play at home. I couldn't play with Charles Barkley anymore. 
it was my game. NBA Jam was my game. I mean, that was a game everybody talked about, including people that didn't really play video games. Oh, okay, so so it would bring sports fans to at least to the discussion of video games. I'm assuming. Yes. Cool. Okay. So not necessarily kind of bringing them to the arcade in in their droves, but at least they would know what was going on, kind yeah. of in oh, conversation. Yeah. They would know what was going on, and like when it came to home consoles and it was available for sale, it was constantly selling out. I mean, it was the game that people surrounded. Every, you know, would just surround like at the arcades, like everybody would just surround and huddle around the game and watch people play. You know, and then try to put quarters on the machine to say that they got next. You know, it just oh. you know all types of stuff. I mean, and seeing the thing is, is that. You, if you talked shit at an arcade game, you know, at the arcade, you better be able to back it up because if not, you was gonna get laughed at, or you might get smacked in the face. Oh, dude, we're gonna talk about beat 'em ups later. Don't worry. Yeah, about oh, it. yeah, we will. We will. <laughs> got me all hyped because um i want to play nba jam now and um now and i don't have a copy anywhere and i need to just go ahead and get some credits because we could play online um sean yes it's it's hooked up we could play multiplayer yeah that- just swap my headset we can forget this whole podcast thing and i can <laughs> i can hoop on fire on your ass um. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i tell you this is what we're going to do we're going to talk about you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna talk about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game. Ooh, um, one of my favorite four-player arcade games of all time by Konami or Konami, who, uh, however you say it. Um, basically, the famous four turtles fight incredible numbers of bad guys to save April, O'Neil, and Splinter, and to defeat their arch enemies Krang and the Shredder. Um, it uses the Konami two and a half dimension approach to horizontal scrolling games. And by that, like at the arcade game, depending on where you were, you had an arcade game that had four controllers and like one screen to play Turtles, or you had four controllers and two and a half screens to play the Turtles. So, the, so like basically your play area would be huge. And you could also, you know, you could play as any Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, you know, Leo, Leonardo, Raphael, Michelangelo, or Donatello, and they had their weapons. And you would like, you know, fight the Foot Clan, you know, fight a big boss at the end of every level. Man, you do not know the number of times I played this game nonstop until we got to the end. It is, this, is, this is honestly, this is probably one of, with the exception of another game I'll, I'll talk about later, this is one of the best four-player console games, not console, I'm sorry, four-player video games ever made. And it was also a pretty good console port, too. It's um, and again, it's I think in the last, it, it's probably been around for a few years. Again, Xbox Arcade have got it uh, downloadable, and I, I kind of purchased it almost immediately as soon as it became available. And I play it with Joe all the time. Um, but one of the things I, I think it's the first level, which is it a hotel on fire? Yes. Um, the, I I always remember I. I, I was kind of used to um, Final Fight and Streets of Rage and Double Dragon, um, which are those kind of side-scroller beat-em-up games, um, where I seem to remember, like depth perception-wise, you could probably move up. You could move up through, like the floor was slightly slanted, so it wasn't kind of Sonic the Hedgehog, Mario, Wonder Boy style, where you literally move from the left to the right and you can't go back into the background. But with 
turtles especially i remember that really coming into play like you'd be kind of punching um the air and thinking that you were getting a, a foot clan soldier and actually he's two feet to your left so you have to move up the screen to be able to get him properly and be completely level with him um and the floor would be on fire um so you would like you know it, it was it was so cool and it was a good looking machine as well um like the the joysticks were all separated with that kind of bar of color yes. so if you were going to be leo you'd kind of stand at the blue section and, and like Raphael with the red and orange for michelangelo um it was a good looking machine I, I, and that is one where um, given the given the kind of opportunity, I, I, see, I remember kind of when I first started college, um, kind of in '94, uh, we, we would kind of go up up to town because um, I, I did um, I did film at college, and, and part of that was, um, and I did a, a I did media studies as well, and part of that was making short films, and so quite often we would go to London to shoot, and we would try and get through it as quickly as possible, and then go to a big arcade called Trocadera um, up in town, which was kind of um, just it was like a mecca for for video games, and there was low there were just loads and loads of of our favourites at that time, and uh, that was always one that we I would visit or revisit, and it was always kind of oh, serious seriously you're going to play that and I said yeah because it's just, it's just such a fun game um, I seem to remember the Simpsons arcade game having a similar kind of joystick layout depending yeah. on which character you wanted to be yeah because um, that was also by Konami as well yeah lots, probably you know same engine and, and like the same kind of joystick layout and it, it, yeah it's just bright colourful it drew you into the machine straight away it was um it was a it was a good game, uh, and then I didn't they do a Turtles in Time as well? Yes, they did. Yeah, it had a it had a few sequels uh, for sure, and I I just remember like you know they used the animated versions of the turtles, so you knew who was who, and I think the one thing I always liked is also at the beginning of the game before the game started, you would hear the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles song, and they have like all these like little high you know stills going in motion to like uh, you know reflect the animated series and before, proper manga style wasn't it yep and then you would also have in between levels you would have like a like a little animatic which wasn't really that animated but it would just be like still saying what's going on like shredder kidnap april o'neill or something else would happen and you have to go do something and splinter would be like go you know go save the day or whatever what used to crack me up during this period of time was that when this game came out, and, this, and you would see this on a lot of arcade games. I don't know if it was like this in, in the UK, but in the United States, this, they would put these on these games where there would be like just like a, a screen that would pop up, and it was a blue background and had the FBI logo <laughs> in the middle of the screen, and underneath it said, Winners Don't Use Drugs. Yeah, um, William S. Sessions, director, FBI. Yeah, that famously um, came up on the screen in front of WrestleFest uh, all the time. <laughs> just forever yeah that we had that here as well playability of this game was fantastic and when it came out yes there were other four player games that were out during this period this, during this period of time but not to the level of popularity that the turtles that the turtles had now in the uk did they call it the game teenage teenage mutant teenage mutant hero turtles hero turtles okay and hero turtles but i do believe that um michelangelo did have nunchucks um which was another element that was always removed for the cartoon yeah. because we're sheltered and we couldn't possibly endorse violence of that kind even though we're well known for football hooliganism which is always bizarre to me it's gonna you can't you can't include nunchucks in a cartoon and call it ninja turtles for fear that children will you know make their own temporary weapons 
it's like guys seriously do you really think that our parents weren't obsessed with Bruce Lee and brought us up with bootleg copies of Fist of Fury mm. of course they did <laughs> we, were, we were making homemade nunchucks before in the words of Danny Glover you were itching your daddy's pants it's just bizarre to, and to the point where the, the theme song was even changed to be Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, Heroes in a Half Shell. It, it was just stupid. I never really understood that either because they're worried about kids making nunchucks, but they can easily go make a bow staff. They, they allowed Raphael scythes. I would much... Even though... <laughs> see, this is, this is where... This is where it's bizarre to have a conversation where you're 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 actually comparing. You're saying it'd be much better to bludgeon someone with a with a nunchuck than stab them with a scythe. But that's what, that's what we're talking about. You know, stabbing weapons were fine, but something that you would spin around your head. Knives were readily available in any kitchen around the land, but nunchucks, no, no, it, it, just bizarre, just, just deadly. Stabbing. And and the thing was, when you went into the shop and you bought the action figures, you were buying action figures from an animated series that you religiously watched. And then when you bought Michelangelo, you probably thought, I don't really want Michelangelo because he doesn't actually have any weapons in the cartoon series. He just has a skateboard and really likes pizza. Um, but so, so they, they were edited out of the cartoon. Yeah. So Michelangelo just always had really shit fights. <laughs> he just didn't have any weapons. But when you bought the figure, he had nunchucks. So it was like, oh, okay, let's make bigger versions of these guys and really piss off the government. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember during in the arcade game, there was this one scene where they hop out of the turtle van and they're all on skateboards with their weapons and they're crossing a bridge or whatever. And they're like all in these, and they all have a skateboard that is similar to their headband color. And yeah. they're going and like fighting and being on skateboards at the same time. You know, when like back in '89 or '90, I thought that was just awesome. Well, yeah, because you're at the peak of Marty McFly made skateboards cool again, um, and um, and you have ninja weapons. So what's not to like? Yes, really. Okay. Yeah. Well, we, we won't talk about battle frogs, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, see, I'm desperately now looking for the uh, the video game of Street Sharks, uh, which I know doesn't exist. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, I am gonna talk about. Oh, where should we go? Okay, I'm going to talk about... I shall save that one. Oh, you've, you've made this really difficult now because you've covered... All right, I'm going to talk about Donkey Kong Country. Oh, okay. Which um, I played both Donkey Kong Country and Donkey Kong Country 2, which involved Diddy Kong much more, um, much more prominently. Um, it, was always a, it was kind of a, a, a big deal for, um, for the Nintendo 64, another game developed by Rare. And rare at the time that this came out, which was '94, um, they they also had um, a beat 'em up game called Killer Instinct, um, which was kind of doing the rounds, not on the heels of, but it was kind of at the peak of other beat 'em ups. Um, one of which I mentioned because I haven't got it down, uh, which is Mortal Kombat. And Mortal Kombat was always kind of known for apparently photorealistic animation, which wasn't really photorealistic. It was just uh, it was a bit poo, really. Um, but <laughs> but. Um, yeah, Killer Instinct was like this. It was super shiny and 3D 
and like computer rendered um, and, it, and it, it really kind of worked with it, the idea was you would get as many combos as possible um, and it looked really it was good looking but um, Donkey Kong Country kind of had that same pseudo 3D look to it so um, like the, the the shading on on all, on any kind of rounded object looked just super good, you know, super pr- prominent. There was nothing kind of Paper Mario about it. There was nothing 2D about it. Even though it was like a two dimensional side scroller, you couldn't go kind of depth perception back into the background. Um, it just looked stunning. It, it looked really really good. Um, but yeah, came out in 1994, and I, I've got to say one of my kind of strongest memories with it isn't necessarily the game even though I love the game um, at that time I had a habit of turning the sound down on any game and playing CDs mm-hmm. uh, and playing albums and it was around this time that I got super big into um, Oasis and so when I when whenever I look at Donkey like footage of Donkey Kong Country I always remember listening to Definitely Maybe um, and actually going through the Beatles back catalogue as well so that was always my <laughs> that was like my soundtrack to these games which was really really bizarre but super good looking characters amazing animation for the time and just a solid game you know it was kind of all of those great platform games that I sort of grew up loving through the Sega Master System um, and up to the Super Nintendo and now with the the um, it was kind of you had it was the kind of end of I suppose the end of the Super Nintendo era kind of 94 you're about to then kind of make that leap onto um, something else but it was it was just one of the the best looking games for that console even to the point where like you know you, you sort of meet you, you walk into a big bunch of bananas and the bananas would disappear and, and, and kind of go up to the top of the screen and go up to your counter everything was just beautifully rendered and, and the gameplay was what you would expect from Nintendo and what you would expect from Rare and more. Um, and then, of course, it went on with um, with the second game and then you had... Um, they kind of worked on the heels of uh, Mario Kart and they did Diddy Kong Racing, which became another big kind of multiplayer game um, with that console. But uh, it, n- nothing else, really. I mean, it, it really sold... Let's see. Um, the original Super Nintendo version sold over 8 million copies worldwide, making it the second best-selling um, Super Nintendo game um, ever. Um, it was just a, a big, big hit. And it was one of those kind of automatic ones where you went around to your friend's house and, and it would always be, well, what, what games do you have? You always saw Donkey Kong Country there. Um, it was just one of those ones that you had to have that year. So it, they've, I think they've recently... I don't know whether it's like an emulator version or um, something, but I know that there's a version around. There's, I know there's one for the DS called Jungle Climber, which isn't quite as good. And it's just like a, a regular Nintendo character that you you see. You know, Donkey Kong is, is an absolute classic, but this kind of rendering of him, I think, has now become what you associate with, with what Donkey Kong looks like. So when he pops up in Mario Kart, Diddy Kong Racing, um, and you see him in Super smash brothers brawl or melee or, or any of those other games um he's always there but if you if you've never looked at donkey kong um country uh, get, go on youtube there's loads i mean if you trawl through youtube on classic games there's so much stuff um i mean you know what youtube's like anyway you know there's, there's loads to be to be had but donkey kong country was one of those ones for me anyway that kind of came it made a big leap for how impressive and good-looking games could look. Um, it was a bit of a surprise to me anyway, you know, just as you think you've got everything out of a machine, suddenly this comes along and you're like, hang on a minute, this is 
pretty close to kind of the way that games are going to look for for a good few years. So yeah, Donkey Kong Country was a was a good platformer. It was a it was a good one. Now, which which Donkey Kong Country game was the one with the bongos? That was the was that the Nintendo sixty four? I want to say the sixty four one. Fairly sure. I've got a feeling it was the it was Donkey Kong sixty four, I believe. Okay. And the sequels were Donkey Kong Country two, Diddy Kong's Quest, Donkey Kong Country three, Dixie Kong's Double Trouble, which I do not remember in the UK, but Donkey Kong sixty four was was huge as well. Absolutely huge. It was during that period of time I worked for a toy retailer. Well, like I worked for uh, one of the major toy retailers in the United States, at Toys R Us. During this period of time, during the introduction, during the introduction of Donkey Kong Country, this is around the holiday season, and so what Nintendo did, and they did this for all the uh, Toys R Us stores and possibly other toy stores which were around at the time, like uh, KB Toy Stores, which is now defunct, out of business, and other uh, toy places. They sent a Donkey Kong vest, which was like this khaki vest, you know, khaki sleeveless vest. Yes, yeah, so, yes, yeah, a khaki vest. And uh-huh. this DK hat, and it was a khaki-colored hat with like a big D and a big K, that was um, you know that was also outlined in like yellow, and it had this uber ass long bill. And so when Donkey Kong Country came out for the, during the holiday season, somebody for like one day, and this was I want to say this was like the day after Thanksgiving or so. Somebody had to go out there and put on that vest and hat and like hand out Donkey Kong Country, um, Donkey Kong Country tickets. Lo and behold, I had to do to do that shit for one day. It was fucking terrible. Was I, it one size fits all, or was it a bit baggy or a bit tight? It was one size fits all. Yeah, it was one size fits all, and I fucking hated it. It's like, <laughs> listen, I'm like, I understand. I work for Toys R Us, and like, I got to do during that time. I was like, and I got to do what I got to do. But it's like, I'm already a shill, but now I'm a shill for a shill. And um, and that that was my attitude and my thought at the time. And yeah, I, you know, it was, you know, like every now and then I, you know, also would help parents, like because I was in the, the video game section trying to tell them what games they should buy or should stay away from and stuff. But God, that was all there, like because like I was constantly told recommend Donkey Kong Country recommend Donkey Kong Country I'm like they've got a Sega Genesis they can't get Donkey Kong Country tell me one more time one more time recommend Donkey Kong Country no no, not not you I'm talking about management (laughs) you should you should recommend Donkey Kong Country no no I'm not (laughs) I'm not it's like I'm like you can't do that they're like I'm like because this was also during a period of time where we still had NES games Sega Genesis games um, you know so you also Super Nintendo and you also had um, the Sega Genesis 32X, which was supposed to be an enhancement to the Sega Genesis and give you, like, uh, you know, robust graphics and stuff like that. And that faded out quickly after, like, five or there six games. There was lots of stuff like that. Do you remember the original PlayStation 1? I believe, or was it PlayStation 2? Maybe it was PlayStation 2. The original... I think both systems had like a removable tab at the back with this just empty space where clearly some kind of circuit board was supposed to be put. And there was always this promise that there was some amazing big enhancement coming. Oh, oh yeah. Um, um, the, the original PlayStation had, had a port where you could add a mouse to it. and it, But it was a special proprietary mouse for the Sony PlayStation. And there was another thing for it too. I just can't remember what it was. But yeah, that yeah. never came through. Um, yeah, you know, never I remember. Really I just specifically remember the PlayStation Two one. Like it was this big kind of removable thing that you pop in. I seem to remember that I got whatever it was at one point, but I just cannot remember what what it was that it did. Um, 
But, but yeah, there was always that promise of an add-on. Yeah, it just, it just never really happened. But I think the thing most off with like Donkey Kong Country is that that was the game that helped Nintendo like kind of put Donkey Kong on the map with Mario again. I mean, yeah, you yeah. you had the you had the Mario Kart games, which featured all the Mario characters of the Mario universe. But you know, Donkey Kong was bigger than Mario when dark when Donkey Kong first started in the arcade. It was yeah. about it was Donkey Kong, but it was about Mario defeating Donkey Kong. But Donkey Kong was a very big character; otherwise, you wouldn't have had Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Two, and Donkey Kong Junior. But for a while, he got pushed to the curb. But he was able to come back because of this, because you had you had Mario, you had um, Link from Zelda, you had Star Fox, you had a uh, Metroid, and Star Fox, yeah. and those were the you know the big you know the big Nintendo name the big gun N- Nintendo names, and then and then Donkey Kong finally made his comeback. So, and if I miss out on one, my bad. But but no, that was a big deal, and I do remember playing that game, and it was fun. I I, I definitely did like it, and that was one of the things. I did like most on the on the Super Nintendo. So, did you find when you were talking to parents in the game section while you were wearing that hat, it was quite difficult to keep eye contact with them because their their eyes would always drift up to that super big beak that you had. Oh, I was afraid I was going to poke somebody's eye out with the damn bill. <laughs> so I'll, I would always have my head leaning back, so it looked like I'm looking up in the sky because I hey, didn't want to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to hit anybody with the damn hat, and so and like and they wouldn't let me turn it around. You know, because you have to have make sure that the DK symbol is prominent. And even if I turn it around, the bill would like jack me in the back of my neck. So, oh, I hated it. I just. And then if you if you had the bill at the front and you turned around really quickly, if there was a particularly tall gentleman in front of you, you might end up, you know, clipping him in the nose or <laughs> causing a laceration of some kind. Yeah, and I don't. That's want terrible. That. Yeah, I, I, I've, I mean, I've worn. I mean, like promotional T-shirts and things. I mean, my probably the my most vivid memory of a of a store involved promotion was when Titanic came out on VHS when it came out on video. We closed Blockbusters at um, 11 o'clock, um, and all evening, um, there, uh, there were th- we were sent three shirts, if I remember rightly, and for the beginning of the shift, which always began at 3 o'clock, so our, our shifts for an evening shift would, would begin at 3, and I seem to remember that the, like, the staff wore a shirt that said, um, it's on the way, Titanic is coming, and then on the back it would say, Ask me. It was like it was like ask me when you can get it, or ask me how to get it, or it some pre-order device which had Titanic across. It, it was this navy blue shirt, and then about I think it was probably about nine o'clock in the evening, we changed our shirts to shirts that said, "It's nearly here." Ask me. <laughs> it was it was like a, it might have well, it might as well have been just an exclamation point on the original shirt, but we had to change our shirts, and then at the end of the night we. He closed at 11, cashed up the tills, and we had to reopen at midnight. And then if you looked out through all the glass doors, it was like a George A. Romero movie, but it was more like Shaun of the Dead because they were all British and reserved outside, all, you know, like just lined up or just... <clears throat> clearly, they'd all, they're all big Celine Dion fans. And it just looked kind of button up against the door. And we literally, we opened the doors with our new shirts on that said, it's here. And it's like, they know it's here. They're fucking, they're here to buy Titanic, <laughs> dude. We don't normally open at 12 o'clock to zombies, but they, oh, it was just ridiculous. And we had um, ice cream to give out. 
we had these massive um, gallon cartons of this Belgium Hagendars to give out, mm-hmm. and there were four of us on the shift, and we had four of these big gallon tubs to scoop out and give people exa- like um, free samples of this stuff. And my manager, Baz Jarvis, I'm going to name and shame him now because it doesn't matter. Um, had this amazing idea he said why don't we rotate the gallon cartons over the hour and then hopefully during the course of the evening only one gallon would have been eaten but we'll have an even four canisters to take home with us <laughs> one, one each and it worked so i had half a gallon of uh, of like chocolate belgian ice cream to distribute amongst my in-laws and uh, and and everyone else for the next like week and it became more of a hindrance than anything else but yeah promotions in retail seriously you have my sympathy you you would you would just have to wear the most disgraceful t-shirts ever i I seem to remember spending two weeks in a bug's life t-shirt um which i did wash but it it, you know it's not good it's not good is it and especially ones with questions on no you know my road rash on the genesis ask me how it's not good Let's go ahead and get, let's let's go ahead and get back to uh, get back to our arcade console fest. Uh, retail, uh, you. Suck. We need to do a joint podcast called King of Segways. Yes, <laughs> yes, we do. Or just call it Segways. The Segways. That's a good name for a band. Sorry, I'm segwaying. Go on. <laughs> All right. Um, the next arcade game that I'll talk about was also a four-player game, and and I, I, this is during a period of time I was just big on four-player games. And you could play it by yourself, but it was always better if you had a whole group with you. You had lots of friends at this point. Oh, no, no. It's not that I had you know, like a lot of friends. It's just like you go to the arcade. There'd be two or three play- people playing on it. There'd be a spot yeah. open. You walk up to them, but like, can I, can I, and you would say, can I hop in? Be like, yeah. And you just hop on in, and you just try not to fuck up. Mm. And um, that, that was the cool thing, because they would either tell you yes or no. You could play or not. <laughs> no. No. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, I don't want to fuck your game up. You know, hope you lose. <laughs> you know, but... Um, but Konami had did it again. Uh, you know, a couple of years before they gave us the turtles, and they came back and they gave us GI Joe. This was one like in the arcade. This was like one of my favorite games ever because everybody knows I'm a Joe junkie. Oh yeah. And the way this game worked, you could play as one of four characters: Duke, Roadblock, Scarlet, and Snake Eyes. Now, here's the thing about Snake Eyes. This Snake Eyes was... We've seen all the incarnations of Snake Eyes from the beginning of G.I. Joe to to, to today. But this was the Snake Eyes uh, incarnation that everybody hates. The one, you know, especially like if you grew up with it, like I grew up with it. It's the one where he had the black mask with the red visor and like the the hockey face, uh, you know, mouth plate. Right. That one. The one everybody wants to forget. Because he kind of looks like a generic version of that DC character Wild Dog, with a, you know, with like a red, with like a red, um, with a red visor. But anyway, didn't matter. Um, so you might as well have just been. You may as well have just been talking about NBA um, people there. Yeah. Uh, with <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know, with me. But like, the, basically, the name of the game was based upon the line of toys and animated TV series of the same name. Uh, soldiers fight in a futuristic war against the army of an evil emperor. Unlike most army-themed games, even trees and buildings can be destroyed if enough bullets are pumped into them. Cool. The game features a behind-the-character perspective 
that was typically used in only driving games. And basically the way it was set up was you would see the back of the character and he would be running or she would be running, but they would be going forward. So it's like, it's like you know, like if you're playing a driving game like uh, Turbo or Outrun, but it's just basically the dude's running or, or, or Scarlet's running and you're just shooting and blowing shit up. And um, the cool thing about this game was, like I said, you could choose between Duke, Scarlet, Roblox, or Snake Eyes. And the Cobra Boss enemies were to Tomax and Zamot, Metalhead, Baroness, Major Blood, Destro, and Cobra Command. This game is literally nonstop, just sh just nonstop shoot 'em up. I mean, I don't think I stopped firing a gun <laughs> from the moment I, you start to the moment you finish. Like you were just, you know, it's it's like an '80s action movie, just nonstop. But um, this is when Konami was on fire, um, in my opinion, because they were making a ton of multiplayer games in the arcades and like. They were all hitting. On, they were just firing on all cylinders, whether it be G.I. Joe, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, The Manhattan Project, um, Bucky O'Hare, uh, Turtles in Time, you know, all this other stuff. Just everything. They were hitting on all cylinders. And I think I was just more happy because it had Roblox in it. And I could just, like, blow folks away with, with Roblox. Because, <laughs> like, there, you know, there was never a video game that had Roblox in it. Come on. So the fact that I got Roadblock and I was able to blow up shit with Roadblock was just excellent to me. And there was only one place where I could play this game. I lived in Middletown, and we had to drive all the way to Cincinnati if we, to this mall called, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the mall, but it was a mall in Cincinnati that had this like big, sprawling arcade, but nothing else in the mall because the mall was too expensive. So like stores would like hop in and then like you know hop out real quick. I think it was called like the Forest Fair Mall or something. And but the arcade was massive. And they had like this little mini amusement park in the middle of it, and this was the only arcade that had GI Joe. So anytime I knew we were going to that mall, I made sure I had two dollars ready to play GI Joe. I'm just imagining you're like that. So, uh, see, this is one of those things with with like the advent of the internet and um, kind of pre-hype and publicity and stuff. Would you did you know before? that the game was coming no. or did you walk in and just go oh there's a G.I. Joe game because because I would love to have been a fly on the wall to see um, Tiny Sean walk into the mall on that day and just go I don't know if you know this mum but I'm going to have to live here now because <laughs> I've just seen a G.I. Joe was that how it was you would walk in and it was just kind of like it was kind of like Josh Baskin in big and you're drawn to this machine mm. or did you know it was coming or someone told you that it was no no you no. nine times out of ten the only way you knew about video games at the arcades is that if a friend told you about it or you ran up on it by accident Oh, I'd love to have been there to see you run to, to happen upon the G.I. Joe game. You know, there was nothing, because to me, there was nothing like it. That was the one thing about arcade games was this, you were always on the eve of discovery every time you walked into an ar arcade, because no matter what mall you went to, or like amusement park, or wherever, whoever, an arcade, no ar no two arcades were, were the same. Yeah. So you would always see something that you'd never seen before. And, and like when I saw that G.I. Joe game, one, I never knew it existed because you just don't know these things. You know, they were video game magazines, but they were about console systems, never about the arcades. And yeah. so when I saw that, like I literally just like paused for a second and I just like watched the gameplay because nobody was around it. And I just watched the gameplay. I'm like, you get to be a G.I. Joe and blow shit up. How I can't go wrong with this. And I just started popping in quarters and just like blowing stuff away, and and I was, it was awesome. 
you know, I mean, nowadays if I played it, I'm like, okay, this is like a weak version of Heavy Barrel from a different angle perspective. <laughs> but I don't, I didn't care. I've read reviews of the game since, and like a lot of people are like, this game sucks because it, it's a standard shoot 'em up. There's not much to it at all, at all. But for nostalgia purposes, this. Game I was, was going to say you take from it what you bring to it. Yep. So if you, you know, if you're if you're a big GI Joe fan, I'm just imagining you know you round that corner and you turn and you go, hang on a second, this wasn't here last week, and there's this, you know, thing that ticks all your boxes. Of course, you know, you're right. gonna you're gonna get the most out of it. That's awesome. And and that was the only like GI Joe game that I knew of. You know what I mean? And so, mm. like, I I got I got to play this. And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the HHWLOD Podcast Network and is available at hhwlod.com and is also available via iTunes. And you can still go to pkdmedia.com to get our podcast, check out our forum, and read comics like Mercury and the Merg, Agents of Cult, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store for free. If you're on iTunes or our forum board, feel free to leave us a comment, or you can email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard.